Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Venture Stories by Village Global podcast. I'm here today with my teammate, Sean Zhu, with Natalie Dillon, investor at Mavron, and Lisa Maroney, investor at August Capital. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Awesome. Uh, We're here today to talk about elder care, loneliness, and the opportunities to build companies in the space. So, Lisa, you have recently written a post about opportunities in the space. Why don't you uh, unpack a little bit what you wrote in the post and where you see opportunity for companies to form in the space? Yeah, happy to. I was actually inspired to write at the end of August when I took a break from the working world and spent a week disconnected from the internet and life. And in that time was thinking about the important things in life, namely family, uh, and how even in a year of work, I drifted away from my family. Uh, And in my case, I feel all the more guilt because I'm an only child of a single parent and I live 3,000 miles away from her. She's in Virginia, and I work in California. And so, you know, as she gets older, she's 67 now, she recently retired, I've been thinking a lot about, man, is she totally bored out of her mind? Is she lonely? (laughs) Are there things that I should be doing even from a distance to help support her? You know, I've kind of jokingly made her online dating profiles in the past, (laughs) Uh, should I be doing more of that? Are there meetups she can go to? Like, what can technology be doing to make my mom's life less lonely? And so thinking about that and starting to write about it, I ended up doing a deep dive on the space and figuring out that, okay, there's like pockets of activity in four different areas. One being this, you know, marketplace for caregiving. I think we've all heard of honorcare.com. There's a crop of new startups in this space, uh, one of it, which Sean knows through Dormoon Fund, which is called Mona Me, yep. uh, another one called Umbrella in New York, another one called The Helper Bees. And so there's all sorts of activity trying to pair people who are elder or lonely with people who have an abundance of time and energy, who are younger, who are students, et cetera. I also think there's a really interesting opportunity to rethink the nursing home and Eric, I think you had a tweet about this at one point, uh, which is like, what is Silicon Valley doing to rethink the nursing home? Because it's kind of sad that we just put our elders away and forget about them, really. And it turns out that in Singapore, the government is proactively funding daycare centers within nursing homes, which when you think about it, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, it could be the same trained caregiver. And you've got young kids with tons of energy who are constant fodder for the elder folks, and you can design really interesting curriculums that benefit both groups. Um, So I think that's one bright area that we haven't seen much startup activity in. Open question, what startup activity could be there? A third area that I was really interested by is digital therapeutics. There's, you know, the, the medicines to address Alzheimer's, depression, loneliness aren't exactly Uh, well-developed. There haven't really been any big blockbusters for any of those categories. SSRIs for depression are notoriously blunt and ineffective. And there's a whole promising slew of startups that using software are actually becoming FDA certified to treat these conditions. I think the most prominent one among that group is 
NeuroTrack. And then last category, and then I will stop talking, is virtual companionship, VR, AR. I think there's a ton of opportunity there to mitigate loneliness. There hasn't really been so much research around whether virtual interaction is a good enough substitute for the real thing, but there are certainly plenty of older folks who will never have the real thing because maybe their families have passed or maybe they live too far away. And so, heck, like if a San Junipero type scenario is the best we've got, then let's go for it. And there, there's a MIT startup called Rendever uh, that I think is really interesting. Uh, and Papa is also in this category, which is yes. uh, the elderly with college students who are looking to make some money on the side. And is, is that is that accurate? Yeah, totally. Yeah. What, what are we finding in, in that type of, is, is Papa doing well? Or, are things like that doing well? Or like, are there any startups in that space that you're, you're excited about? I think that the, that, you know, marketplaces are fascinating in general and especially so when they're addressing a compelling social problem where there's a legitimate market failure out there in the world. I think the challenge for these startups is that the very best marketplaces offer value both to the supply side, like take Uber as the example before you couldn't monetize your car. Now you can It's amazing for the gig economy worker, Airbnb, same thing. Now I can rent my apartment while I'm here in Virginia and not home in San Francisco. Uh, And in the caregiving marketplace, the analogy should be that a whole new crop of caregivers can, can supply to these marketplaces because of the lower barriers to providing care. Uh, Maybe these marketplaces are helping them run their businesses and taking electronic payment, um, doing the taxes on the back end, all that stuff. On the demand side, similarly, I think the very best marketplaces actually offer the product at a cheaper price to the demand side because the market is a whole heck of a lot more efficient. And you know, there, there have been a ton of marketplaces where maybe there isn't that value, but there's value in the convenience of being able to more quickly search for a provider. And I haven't seen marketplaces that offer convenience but not value scale as quickly. And I think in the elder care space, the the real tough part of these marketplaces is that there hasn't been anybody, no one has yet cracked that value piece to the the patient. Honor has really put a stake in the ground and said, you know, we're not going to, we're going to pay our caregivers a decent wage. We're going to pay them $15 or more an hour, which is not standard in this market. And I admire that about Honor. I think that's a great thing. I think to the patient side, that means that using Honor is probably not any cheaper than directly contracting with a caregiver. It is probably higher quality care. It just makes it harder for those marketplaces to scale, I think. Sean, Natalie, why don't you give some color on what excited you to the, to the space and, and where you see opportunity? Perhaps, Sean, we'll start with you. Sure, yeah. And on the caregiver marketplace side, I, I definitely... Uh, agree with some of your comments there. It's definitely uh, the the case that uh, it, it makes it uh, to give you some little personal perspective here. Like I come from a family and I have a parent at home that I I'm a caregiver for. And the the prolif- as a as a consumer, I think that um, a lot of these companies honor Mona Me. I think that these are great. They offer a tremendous amount of value, but it is extremely difficult to scale beyond certain communities. One of the actual follow up questions that I had for for you is. You know, what are the, some of the interesting companies that are coming up or perhaps the companies that need to be built to augment the work that caregivers are actually doing? So what are the picks and shovels companies that are uh, helping caregivers do their jobs better? And in the case of 
me personally, for instance, or my family, as we do caregiving for the elderly members of our family, what are the kind of tools that are going to be available to help our do our jobs better? I'm curious if you have any perspective on that. I think that's a really interesting question. And my mind immediately jumped to one of our portfolio companies, this company mm-hmm. called Pro, which is, it's, it's akin to enterprise software, but it's for the S in the SMB. And it's targeting electricians, plumbers, handymen, and it's the software that allows them to run their businesses. And this is a segment of society that really did not feel like software was ever designed for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they were running their businesses, pen and paper and phone calls. And now they have this really sleek app, mobile app, uh, where customers can search and pay electronically and all that stuff. And I wonder if there's a big business to be built much like that, but for caregivers who, you know, maybe you want to be able to pay your caregiver electronically versus in cash. So maybe they have reasons to want want it in cash. Maybe they want to be able to, akin to WAG, uh, show you in real time where they are during the day with your loved one if they're taking them for walks or like snap photos during the day and have that go to one photo stream or something like that. Like there's a lot that technology can do to make them seem like stars in your eyes. Um, and I haven't yet seen that business. I'm sure Honor is, has built a lot of that technology for caregivers on the Honor platform. I don't know if you've experimented with Honor with your own loved ones. Sure. And, and we certainly have. And uh, I think that the convenience factor of being able to have a ready supply of caregivers that we can tap into in the, in the, in the case where our primary caregiver that we, uh, we have during, during the workday uh, is, is not, not able, able to be there. You know, the convenience factor is huge. And a lot of these questions are very personal for me and my family because, you know, this, these, these are products that we use uh, every day to take care of uh, my grandparents and, and my father who's, who, who is aging as well. What attracts me to this space is thinking a lot about what are the really interesting tools that we that that have yet to be built or are being built today that uh, that are going to help caregivers do their jobs better or at least reduce the significant time burden and significant labor intensity that that goes into caregiving as well as a lot of the mental strain that goes into caregiving. Those are the big things for me. Totally, a lot of people worry about disintermediation Mm -hmm. in uh, services marketplaces, and I'm wondering with you and your family. Did you, you know, once you found a caregiver you loved, did you ever think about just contacting that person directly off the platform? To be honest with you, it was a, we didn't, it was a very low tech approach that we took to find our ideal caregiver. It was a lot of folks in the community that we knew that we kind of got social proof for. But in, I wish that, that products like Honor were around when my father and when my grandparents ultimately need, and started needing that care. It wasn't around when we uh, uh, when that was when that was happening, and so I think that that's something that is a really great development for elder care in general. Yeah, Natalie, how, how about you? What, what drew you into this space, and where are you most excited? Yeah, I think I echo everyone here. Where you know, have loved ones that have that are retiring now, have seen the pain points, grew up very close with both of my grandparents, and so I think there's kind of a, a certain kind of personal experience that that draws me to this, but Stepping back as an investor, you know, I, I see this as kind of a hugely ignored consumer segment. I see huge pain points that these consumers are facing, and I see drastic changes as baby boomers are kind of coming into retirement. When I think about kind of the elder care or maturing consumer segment, whatever you want to call it, I kind of divide it into a, a few different areas. And 
you know, I, I really think about it as kind of the, what are the cornerstones that define the, the human experience? And so it's, for me, how do they eat? Where are they eating? Where do they live? How are they living? How are they playing health and finance? And when I kind of think about these categories and where I should focus my attention on, I, I you know, it, it's for me, it, it's this play, health and finance. And I think when it's, when I say play, I think it's a lot of the same themes that Lisa mentioned around loneliness. I think there's a lot of kind of offline companionship services like Monami and Papa that are kind of focused on delivering the social companionship rather than professional help. I think there's also opportunities for online connections that can be made. And particularly as you look through kind of these baby boomers that are actually online, about 60% of 65 to 69 year olds have smartphones. They're much more digitally kind of active than kind of seniors above them. And I think there is kind of an opportunity for there to be, I don't know, a, a social network that is like much more tailored to either communicating with their family, to their grandkids that hasn't been developed within play. I think there's, you know, there's social, there's travel, just things that, that are kind of giving them um, opportunities to connect both offline and online. And then when it comes to health, I think similar to, to everyone else looking at these caregiver marketplaces, they're just like a, a tremendous, tremendous market. There's you know about 400,000 people in the United States are employed in just these kind of continuing care communities. And they're generating above 27 bill in revenue every year. When I've gone through the experience with my grandparents, there there really aren't kind of hero brands that are in this category. And I think similar to kind of Lisa's experience, a lot of millennials too are now turning to technology to find these services for their parents. And unfortunately, there's no no standard of care. There's no standard pricing. There's no hero brand. And I think that's kind of a, a category that we can see great change. And then the the last category is finance. I think there's been kind of drastic changes in kind of how retirement plans have been done, where previously employers kind of took responsibility for allocating where retirement funds would go. Now that has been placed on the employee. So I think there's going to be a lot of challenges when, as people kind of hit retirement, how they should be thinking about when they should be retiring, if they should be continuing working. We're seeing people work much longer now than ever before. I think there's a place for help on kind of intergenerational planning. And then lastly, just kind of help on managing uh, healthcare costs and budgets as, as that gets kind of increasingly complicated as, as consumers age. Yeah, to that last point, uh, there's there an interesting company called Blueprint Income that is in the dormant fund portfolio, actually. They just raised some, some capital. But I think it's, it really speaks to the specific problem that you just raised. Uh, what they specifically do is they um, uh, allow folks to fund uh, a lifetime annuity retirement income. Uh, where they put up some sort of upfront payment. And then based on that lump sum, they're able to get a yearly annual kind of uh, payment each year until, uh, until they die, actually. And so this is, uh, they're actually trying to solve that gap between where lifetimes are expanding, they're, they're increasing, right? And the original kind of structure for retirement planning was not built for people to live past the age of 80, past the age of 90. And so I think there's a lot of really interesting fintech companies coming out to, to address this specific gap. Totally, totally. I mean, I think now you're seeing 20% of kind of the 65 plus population are in some sort of part-time, full-time job because yeah. they don't know when they're going to retire. And this was closer to 12, 10% about 20 years ago. 
Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of kind of financial anxiety in this 65 plus population. And, you know, I'm really hopeful that we can invest and find tech enabled solutions to just make that a much simpler process for them. Definitely. Zooming out for a second, what macro forces make this such a compelling market for you guys or, or make this so that you see it will even become more compelling in the future? I think one of the most interesting stats is, Natalie, what you just shared around technology usage among the, I forget what the age range you quoted was, but uh, it's the baby boomer population that's distinct from, when we, when we talk about elders, I think our minds immediately jump to you know, people in nursing homes. And the macro trend I see is this emerging and burgeoning segment that is nowhere close to there. They might be 65 plus, um, but they're still working part-time. They have cell phones. They're still healthy and active. They're interested in in spending well-earned dollars on what Natalie calls play. And they're not yet, maybe in a decade or two, they'll be in a nursing home. But right now, they want to enjoy life. And yet, the way that our culture is set up is that they're kind of marginalized. And whereas there's so much activity building hero brands for our age groups, there's really very few companies I see that are targeted towards them. And I think that that's a huge opportunity. Totally, totally. No, I agree. And I think there is a misconception around kind of what that senior consumer looks like. I actually say kind of there's two very different consumers. There's kind of what I'll, I'll call the agile maturing consumer, which is you know someone who's maybe mid 70s or below 70 and just kind of across the board around smartphone, social network, much higher adoption rates. And when it comes to smartphone adoption rate, 59% of 65 to 69-year-olds have smartphones. 82% of them are internet users. And 4 in 10 are actually on social media. And when you compare that to the kind of mid-75, 75, 75 plus, it's about half that usage. And so I think there is kind of a, a real opportunity to kind of go after what I would call like the, the agile, a little bit younger maturing consumer because, you know, they are online and you can actually reach them, which wasn't the case five or 10 years ago. Yeah. To, to add a stat there, uh, there was a study done by Accenture that I pulled just from a couple of years ago, but they, the stat suggests that 68% of seniors at 65 plus in America want to actually use technology to improve their health very specifically as well as understand some of their medications. And, and that's actually, uh, I think, a very sea change difference than what, what we used to see maybe 10 years ago before. I think it's also interesting to think about this, this younger uh, baby boomer population in tandem with their mm. children, because, you know, everyone gives millennials a bad rep, and maybe rightly so for how we, we communicate with our families. You know, by and large, we're moving away from home. We are ourselves starting our families later. You know, we are probably contributing financially to our parents in their old age less than prior generations, uh, which is exacerbating some of the mental health, health, and financial figures that Natalie quoted. And so, are there technology solutions that can actually? provide dignity to our parents and loop us into the conversation, you know, whether it's helping to harness the wisdom that the parents and older folks in our life have accumulated over time and actually turning that into an interesting masterclass type of marketplace or helping people to document their life stories while they're living. 
um, or things like that. I think that could be an interesting opportunity for startup creation here. Another kind of really troubling trend that I wanted to point out as well is, you know, at the same time as this, the, 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 the population of seniors is increasing uh, in America, especially acutely in the rest of the world, especially in Asia, I think that in America, we see this, sh- this, uh, this shrinking number of, uh, of nursing homes that can accommodate and have the capacity to accommodate this, this rising boom in, uh, in the senior population. So as seniors are increasing, actually the beds that are available to them are decreasing. And so something that's really troubling that I see is that uh, I think I pulled, a, I pulled a stat here that in, in, in 2050, there's going to be something like 18,000 beds that were short for in terms of uh, being able to service uh, the people who really do need these beds in nursing homes. So I think that there's going to be a, quite a bit of a societal shift here where we have to make some hard decisions about, well, uh, there's going to be more folks who are older. There are fewer places to, to be able to, to care for them. They have to be cared for somewhere, most likely in our homes. How are we going to engage with that? And that's something I've, I've been thinking about quite a lot. Totally. Lisa, earlier you mentioned AR and VR. Where are you excited to see the, the application of, of the technology in this case? Yeah, I think that the first application of AR and VR is going to be towards the older segment that's currently living in homes. Uh, there's a, a company called Vendever, MIT-based startup, that's developing beautiful VR content specifically designed for the senior who has mobility issues, maybe has cognitive decline, is living in a home, and so can't go and experience the world, can't travel anymore, and wants to, still wants to adventure. And their content is able to trigger all of these nostalgic uh, memory loops and actually, you know, make people feel alive and happy and, um, you know, and part of something bigger than themselves, which, you know, stimulates endorphins and makes people you know, actually feel better. I think that, you know, in an ideal world, what I love for, you know, people to be able to experience the real world rather than a virtual world, sure. But I think that it's a, it's a actually quite beautiful application of VR. I think that for the, for the population of people who maybe aren't quite yet in a home, VR has tremendous educational benefits, kind of continuing ed for the person who's maybe now part-time finds themselves with some discretionary income and time on their hands to continue learning and exploring and maybe meeting other people now that they're retired. And I haven't yet seen any companies specifically doing that. You know, my mom, uh, just to give one anecdotal example, is always taking flyers for, you know, like travel to Italy, travel to, you know, to France uh, with, with retiree groups. Um, but they're, you know, physical trips and they cost a lot of money and she doesn't know anyone on the trip and there's a big barrier to going. And could she instead, you know, using a VR kit that I could buy her, travel to those places virtually with, you know, some virtual friends? I think that could actually be kind of interesting. And I know that like kids who are feeling guilty like myself would happily pay for something like that. Um, so I think that that's a, a potential thing as well. Lisa, what about blockchain? <laughs> Hope you're kidding. Yeah, <laughs> one one thing I would add on the on the VR and AR side, kind of relatedly, is if you can use those technologies to get people talking and interacting with it in a in an organic way, then there are all sorts of other technologies that are being developed that can passively monitor our loved ones to make sure that they are cognitively doing okay. 
there's these two amazing companies, one of which is called Winterlight Labs, another one's called Oral Networks, that using artificial intelligence can actually process speech and detect signs of early Alzheimer's well before a clinician can. Turns out that this the state of the art for diagnosing Alzheimer's is a series of subjective assessments that clinicians perform. You know, you rate patients on one to five scales based on a whole series of criteria. And, you know, it's kind of an imprecise measure. But, you know, by measuring the gap between people's words, measuring uh, exactly what words are replacing for other words and all these things that a computer can do well, a lot better than humans can, you can predict cognitive decline well before a human can notice. And so I think that there's interesting pairings of kind of passive monitoring technology that will be interesting once we have other technology in place that captivates our loved one's attention. So I want to ask about, let's, let's say we were all starting a fund together and the sole focus was to invest in companies in the space and we were releasing a request for startups, a, a, you know, sort of medium post. That's sort of the background for this question. And a, a couple examples I'll give of things that were tried in the past. And one was a dating app for elderly. It was called Stitch. I'm not sure if any of you guys followed that one. And then there was another sort of like an on-demand platform that, that was like a, you call the hotline and it'd basically be, you know, you'd call a car, you'd take it to movies, et cetera. And that was GoGo Grandparent, which was in YC. I'm not sure if you guys track that. But that, that's all to say. What other sort of business model innovations or different technological applications would you want to see people build and experiment, you know, for all the talented entrepreneurs and developers out there who, who want to build something in space? One idea is a Soho house for the, for the elderly. Our generation has, you know, Soho house, the wing, the riveter, climbing gyms, book clubs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My mom has like the junior league, I guess, country clubs. <laughs> and, you know, they're kind of old institutions that I think are on their way to dying. Uh, and there's could be a really interesting opportunity to build a new, modern, fresh brand that speaks authentically to this maybe 50 to 60 to 70 year old active fit doesn't want to define themselves as elderly person. Yeah. So one area that I'm really interested in is what are the things that we can build to prevent the, the, the most, the most dramatic kind of health, uh, negative health out, uh, events. And for many in the elderly, I think that's like prevention of falls. So I think that there are a couple companies that are trying to tackle this and why I mentioned falls is because once, once someone, uh, who is considered an elderly patient uh, takes a bad fall. This actually happened in my family. My grandma had a pretty nasty fall recently. Once they are taken to the hospital, and there's there's a slew of negative health outcomes that come after a fall. So there's a lot of focus in liter- the literature to prevent these types of falls. And so to the extent that companies can help passively pr- track data and and kind of insightfully tell some of the patients here that uh, you know maybe you've been walking a little slow lately. You are not doing, uh, you, you perhaps are, um, you know, uh, are at risk of falling in the future. This is something that I, I'm personally really interested in. And uh, uh, there's, a, there's one company in particular, I think is called Tomatomic Labs that uh, is trying to do something along this vein, but more companies that focus on this preventative aspect of, of negative health outcomes in elder care is something I'm really interested in for sure. Sean, I learned a totally horrific stat at Aging 2.0, which is that yeah. 25% of people who fracture their hips will die within a year. That's horrifying. Crazy. That's horrifying. Yeah. Right. So, so to the extent that we're totally right. Build, that we need to prevent it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yep. Or if there's digital therapeutics or uh, Totemic Labs is a piece of hardware that you just put in into the corner of your room and they kind of passively try to collect data to specifically address this. But to the extent that we can kind of attack these types of uh, negative outcomes, I think that's a huge vein of thought for me. Yeah. Another thing I, I learned in the, the presentation at Aging 2.0 was old folks are so fearful of falling and fracturing mm-hmm. because they know the, I mean, they probably don't know the stat, but they have a sense of the repercussions of an injury that grave mm-hmm. that it, you know, psychically ends up reducing their willingness to move and adventure and all these things. Really? Wow. Right? And so if you mm-hmm. can just, even if the technology does nothing more than provide assurance, I think it provides a big benefit. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. In terms of kind of, I don't know, dream companies that I could incubate for this space. I'm a, I'm a big believer that I think baby boomers are going to redefine what it means to age. And I really like Lisa's example of kind of Soho house for, for elders. I think kind of these daycare or kind of rec centers, I think there's huge promise there. I think that kind of what that looks like in practice might be more of a kind of like continuing ed space where seniors can take classes, they can learn from professors, they can, I don't know, learn new hobbies, new skills. And then eventually I think that there's going to be kind of a, a more of a workforce or marketplace where a lot of these seniors who are experiencing financial anxiety or just want to get back in the workforce because you know, it's a point of identity and it's, you know, they don't want to be cooped up inside all day. And so I see kind of this daycare continuing ed marketplace for, for kind of part-time jobs becoming a thing. I think the, the financial anxiety is kind of a very unfortunate and real aspect of, of aging and is more pronounced than, than ever before. So any sort of of retirement planning, you know, if it's working with a robo-advisor or if it's um, some sort of scaled-out solution where they're working with outsourced labor, anything like that I think is is interesting. And then the last piece, and kind of to, to Lisa's point on your mom picking up all these travel flyers, I think baby boomers love to travel. They account for about 80% of all luxury travel $120 billion business. And I think that creating kind of a hero brand in kind of the senior maturing consumer category is actually, I could see it, that being a, a very kind of big and um, lucrative business. Totally. What do you guys think are sort of the non-obvious challenges that people should think about as they start building a business in space? I think one of the challenges is you're trying to target two different types of consumers. One, you're going to kind of the senior, but oftentimes you're also trying to narrate to the millennial, the kid of the the senior. So either it's, you know, someone like Lisa and I that is trying to take care of our parents. And I think the narrating to the kids is very, very different than narrating to the actual senior. And being able to do that, kind of both at the same time, I think is a tremendous marketing challenge. Um, I think the second piece is just getting in front of these consumers is tough. I mean, yes, they are on their smartphones and yes, they're, you know, on social media, but not to the same extent that kind of every other consumer cohort is. 
So finding really kind of interesting and creative hacks to get in front of this consumer and win their trust, I think is, is a kind of huge challenge in this category. Yep. I would, uh, I would agree and echo some of those statements. I think customer acquisition in elder care is not something that has been totally cracked. Uh, I think to your point, right? Like on the one hand, you're, you're very specifically trying to acquire the end user, um, the elderly patients as a, uh, as a customer, but oftentimes it's not always the elderly patient that's paying for the care or paying for the caregiver or paying for the, the new product. It's oftentimes the, the kids and uh, trying to crack that customer acquisition, that, that two, two-pronged customer acquisition is not always that easy. And then the additional component of this, and to the point made earlier, right, I, I think that this is a time in a lot of lives of the elderly that uh, costs are piling up and justifying a new cost, even though in the long, in the long term is probably a better outcome, I, I think making that value proposition super clear and make it resonate with with, with, with the elderly is something that is, is, hasn't been 100% solved yet. Should startups be thinking about like insurance and reimbursement here or, or no? Want to tell us a little bit about how that works in the space? I think they very well could be. I think you know, there, there's now a whole body of scientific research that suggests that loneliness is one of the highest comorbidities above obesity, lack of exercise, et cetera. And so if you're an insurance carrier and a startup approaches you with peer-reviewed evidence suggesting that their service helps to reduce loneliness, you know, there's, there should be a way to calculate that equation of the dollars and cents of healthcare costs saved based on that intervention. Um, that said, I think that to, to the conversation earlier, it's a really tricky thing as a company to offer that, but to market that to customers. I don't think anyone, ourselves, our parents, wants to admit publicly that they're lonely. They want to buy into a service because mm-hmm. it offers joy and companionship and is cool. You know, my mom like wants to go see Lady Gaga in Las Vegas on New Year's Eve. She's not going to go, but like she wants to. And so it's kind of, I think, a, a dual-pronged attack of developing a brand that really authentically resonates, but that happens to have this healthcare advantage on the back end. And maybe a company could, um, you know, get insurance reimbursement, but kind of make that a quieter, less public part of their message. Are there structural reasons why there couldn't be, or why there isn't sort of a prominent, like one medical for the elderly space? That's a really interesting idea. I don't know of any structural reasons and in fact, I'm sure you could, I, I've seen as an investor, I've seen a, a ton of vertically focused one medical variants. There's, you know, companies that are focused on women's care. There's companies focused on musculoskeletal care. Uh, there's, you know, one medical and forward uh, that are focused on general care. And the, the vertically integrated ones are saying, well, you know, our constellation of care requires a different constellation of providers. Maybe for musculoskeletal, you need a physical therapist and a chiropractor and an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, and you could imagine similarly for elder care, you would need you know, someone who specializes in dementia and someone who specializes in, I don't know, like the anatomy of an elder body, uh, whatever that's called. Uh, so I think that that's actually a really interesting opportunity. Cool. Natalie, Lisa, Sean, this has been an awesome episode. Thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. 
If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst. 